Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations in Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Tally G's Restaurant on the south side of Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. When we talk about emergency services, we think of three types of first responders, police, fire, and medical as equals. Now, although they are indeed equal in the vital function of saving lives, they're not equal financially. When a police car or a fire engine shows up, the vehicles and the people in them are funded principally by taxes. Most ambulances and EMS workers are not. They're independently owned and operated companies. The biggest ambulance and EMS service here in Acadiana is, of course, Acadian Ambulance. In 1971, Richard Zuslag was one of the founders of Acadian Ambulance. Today, Richard is the CEO and chairman of the company, and Acadian is one of the country's biggest rural EMS services with over 4,000 employees and 400 ambulances, helicopters, and fixed-wing aircraft. Richard, welcome out to lunch. Peter, it's a delight to be here. It is good to see you. Now we're going to go over to uh, somebody you see in the sky here all the time. <laughs> Local aviation company PHI started out as petroleum helicopters, and that was back in 1949. The company had to add the letter I for international when they started growing. Over the past 66 years, PHI have been active in over 40 countries around the world, including the first civilian aviation company flying in Antarctica. Locally, PHI is an integral part of the oil and gas industry, flying to and from oil rigs in the Gulf. But oil workers are only some of the more than 1.3 million passengers PHI carries every year. The president and chief operating officer of PHI is Lance Bosflu. Lance, uh, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Nice to be here. I'm glad you guys are all here for us. Now, Richard, I alluded that the strange sort of financial gray area that we have with EMS companies in which they operate, uh, I'm going to go and ask you a question in a minute. But before we get to that, what's even stranger is how private ambulance services started, yours included. Uh, this is uh, how I've seen it reported. In 1971, communities around the country suddenly found themselves without emergency medical transportation when new federal regulations caused funeral homes to discontinue using their hearses for emergency transport. Uh, does that mean that up until 1971, if you had a wreck or a heart attack, a hearse would show up? You know, here in the South, that was a tradition because in the early days, the hearses were the only vehicles that you could lay down in. And so someone took sick. They used the hearse to get them a ride over to the hospital. But just think That would spook me if the hearse showed well, up. Well, let me just say this. The funeral homes here in this state were very honest and did the best job they could. And the federal government came out with guidelines in 1970 saying that you had to have XYZ if you're going to transport patients. You had to have oxygen. You had to have some kind of a medical attendant in the back with the patient. So I can remember when I first came down here with Westinghouse Space and Defense Center that when my assignment with them ended, I was looking for a way to get into a business and they had solved this ambulance crisis of the lack of ambulance service back up in my hometown of Pennsylvania by putting together a subscription or a membership program with the area banks. 
And so I wrote to those people, and they sent me the package of how they got the ambulance subscription program going. And back here in Louisiana, if you had funeral home insurance for when you died, you were prepaid. Right. If you kept your policy paid up, the funeral home would give you free ambulance service. So it was a nice niche for us to fit into. I think we just fell into the right place at the right time because people were used to having some type of a program to provide transportation. But you must think about this. In 1970, the funeral home charged $25 for an ambulance call if you weren't part of their subscription program and $2,500 for a funeral. There wasn't much economic impetus to have them be out saving lives. You were worth more dead than alive. Yes, you yes, were. That would be In fact, thing. I have an old memo from a funeral home that's now out of business that said when you arrive at the car accident, pick up the dead bodies and bring them back to the morgue and let the ambulances that arrive late take the emergencies to the <laughs> hospital. So, <laughs> and you thought, I have got to do something. And, to and I was very blessed because when I started, I was a communications engineer. And... We didn't have EMTs and paramedics back then, but we had a bunch of medics coming back from the Vietnam War. And I hired eight Vietnam medics to help me drive my first two ambulances, and that's why we got off to such a good start, because they had experience, and they knew how to save lives. And that was the beginning of Acadian Ambulance back in September of 1971. So you were the entrepreneur, but you didn't come from a medical background yourself. You just knew how to put this I together. I was down here working as a communications engineer for Westinghouse Space and Defense, and at the end of my one-year field of summit, they wanted to ship me back to Baltimore, and I quit and found an Acadian ambulance. Tasted the food down here, and you weren't going to let them send you back. People down here are a lot of fun, and they know how to work hard, and I think in my case, I've been exceptionally fortunate because of the loyalty people in Louisiana have. You know, very few companies have such loyalty to where I have a half a dozen key employees that have more than 40 years. And I have 100 with more than 35 years. Wow. So I'm very proud of that. I, I, am, that... I am somebody that's kind of hard to work for because, <laughs> you know, when you're saving lives, you can't have mistakes. So I'm pretty persistent about making sure that we get it right. And so I'm, I'm a tough guy to work for, but I also think that I treat our employees very fairly. And maybe later in the program, we can talk about our ESOP and why I think that's made my company so successful, allowing the employees to own part of Which the company. Which just, just for other people, it's employee stock ownership plan. Yeah. So you're a private company, and the, the employees own a chunk of the stock. That's right. When my two partners exited in 1998, we sold their stock to the employee trust, which brought the money from a group of banks. And so now 80% of the company is owned by the Employee Trust, which provides a retirement program for our employees when they retire. And I and my family maintain the other 20% interest in the company. Now, Lance, every link in the chain of your business seems to be anxiety-inducing and require constant supervision. You're running an international fleet of planes and helicopters with pilots, mechanics, and heliports, some of them bigger than regional airports. How do you monitor all that out of an office in Lafayette? And is the company set up like an Air Force, or is it set up like a commercial airline, or something very different and unique to PHI? Well, Peter, PHI has been doing this for a long time, as you noted. And with a lot of that history and tradition comes systems and processes. So we've worked very hard over the years to develop those management tools to allow us to manage a worldwide fleet. And we do that out of Lafayette because of technology. So we have sophisticated GPS tracking systems so we can see any aircraft 
at any time in the sky, whether it's in Antarctica or <laughs> off the coast of uh, Alaska. You know, what people have told me is that you're so prevalent all over the world that I'll, there'll be a guy in, in New Orleans and he'll be off a rig in Nigeria and, you know, seemingly feeling very isolated. And, and then your pilot is, you know, some guy from Patterson or such. And, uh, you know, I can't go anywhere basically in the world without running into somebody from Acadiana who's related to the oil business. In fact, I was in Russia a couple of years ago in the interior and I walked into the hotel and there's a guy at the bar with an LSU sweatshirt (laughs) (laughs) who was from Opelousas who used to work for PHI. So it's an incredibly small business. Now, Liz, when you guys started out, you were, well, the whole business started out in the shallow waters of the Gulf. Uh, Where are you now? I'm uh, uh, how big is the fleet and how diverse is it? So we have 278 helicopters currently in the fleet. We're primarily Gulf-centric with about 60% of our business here. Um, we're in about five locations around the world. And then the other biggest component of PHI is our air medical business. So we service about 25 different states nationally and in Saudi Arabia. Why? So do you ever see Richard in your... We do. Let me just say that when I first got into the air part of our ambulance business, that wasn't until 1984, and it was PHI that helped us do that. At a time that they were extremely busy and didn't want to fuss with this little ambulance company for an air ambulance helicopter, it was more important for them to serve the Gulf of Mexico. But once we got started in it, the one thing that I wanted to do is all their helicopters pretty much were black and yellow. Right. And I wanted to get it to look like my ambulance, which is green and white. <laughs> And money was hard to come by, and it was rather expensive to get that thing painted. Like, I think it was like around eighteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000. I got to be pretty good friends with the founder of PHI, Mr. Mr. Suggs? Mr. Suggs, Bob Suggs. And in the end, he decided to paint that helicopter for me, and I have never forgotten that. So <laughs> they were the ones that helped launch us into one of the first EMS helicopters in the South. And they allowed our technicians to go in and work with their technicians to actually help the sheet metal people conform the patient compartment, and then they got the FAA to certify it. But we did that together, and I was so excited when that helicopter came out of the PHI hangar that on the first big call that we went on, I flew with the paramedic, and it was a patient down between Generate and Franklin on Highway 90, and we saved two patients' lives by getting them to the Lakewood Hospital in Morgan City. I've never forgotten that. Wow. That is a good story. That so is... we have a good relationship. PHI's employees are very good in this community, and we work on a lot of programs together. Lance has been chairman the last couple of years of the American Heart Association fundraising activities in our community, and I enjoy working with the folks from PHI. They've always been good to work with. And I just wanted to say that Acadian and PHI do go back a long ways. And I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for what Richard and his company has done. The contribution that they make to the Acadiana, greater Acadiana community is phenomenal. I, and, and, you're, and you as well. It's been pretty, pretty amazing. In the Gulf of Mexico, one of the things that's changed over the last 20 years is the movement from the shallow water to the deep, the deep yeah. water. How has that changed your business? Oh, it's changed it phenomenally. Um, so all, all the companies back in the early days, as you know, were, were basically concentrated on the shelf because that's where the development was. And in the last 10 years, um, the amount of diversity and technology that our customer base has brought to the deep water Gulf of Mexico is nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, these guys are drilling out there in depths that were unheard of 10 years ago. 
with technology that people only dreamed of. And this would require, I would think, a, a different kind of helicopter? It is. Um, we fly to those deep water rigs, the S-92. Uh, we carry 19 passengers, pilot, co-pilot, and crew chief. And so on some of our deeper legs, we're going well over 250 nautical miles offshore one way. Whoa. Do you need to refuel? On those aircraft, no. But there are refueling stations on rigs, is that we, right? We have an extensive refueling um, like number of stations. a series of, of gas stations all, through the Gulf? All over the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and you know what people don't realize is that, is that there are close to 5,000 structures in the Gulf of Mexico. And at any given time, there can be over 30,000 people offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. So now you see why hurricane evacuations yeah. are so exciting around here. Now, I, I should ask you about the... Um, the recent, well, the last year or so of decline in prices. Uh, what are you doing to confront that, and um, how's it going? Well, you know, you can't live in Acadiana without being impacted by that, right? So the price of oil has had a definite impact across all of the oil and gas service sector, and our customers are looking for ways to cut costs, to be more efficient. So it is having an impact on us, like it is for a lot of other companies. Our strength and, and we're very fortunate we have a board that has been through so many of these cycles up and down and um, we have a, a very strong balance sheet and financial situation so we will weather this and when I when I think about it, you mentioned the balance sheet and the ability to to hang in there um, we we think of oil but a lot of the Gulf is natural gas driven is that a different set of economics or yeah it is although they're you know they're tied together but people don't realize that Louisiana is either number two or number three in both oil and gas, or, or both oil as well as gas. Wow. So this state and the number of jobs that that contributes to this state is, is very vital to our economy. And I guess I could ask both of you this question, but uh, how were you able to build your companies to be so large uh, from Lafayette. I mean, sometimes you hear about companies saying we have to move to a, a bigger city to get the talent pool and such, but this hasn't been the case. I think the loyalty people in this area, a lot of them were raised in rural areas and were raised on a farm, and they know how to work, and they're very loyal. It's amazing to me as I expand into Houston, Dallas, and Texas, when I run across people in Houston that are in the oil industry, they search out to find the Cajuns from back here in Louisiana <laughs> that have the good work ethic. People in this area, generally speaking, have a Christian attitude. They're loyal, and they know how to work. And I sometimes wonder if I hadn't landed in Lafayette, if I might not have been as successful in other parts of the country of putting this ambulance company together. Because as you stated at the beginning, we're now the largest privately held ambulance service in the nation. There's a couple systems that are publicly traded that are bigger, but next to them, we're the, we're the largest one. And I'm rather proud of that, and that's because I think of the dedicated workforce that we've been able to, to bring. And I think maybe one of the reasons that Bell Helicopters brought that factory out here to right the airport, airport, airport yeah. is because they see that you have some of the finest technicians there is no keeping the safety record going for PHI. The, those mechanics are very valuable yeah. to keep them flying safely. No question. And you've been I, able to get the people you need here. Yeah, I would echo exactly what Richard is saying. I mean, the workforce here in Acadiana is is one of the best that I've ever seen. Now, and you are, a, I mean, you're a real administrator, business person. Uh, what, where did you get the skills to come and run PHI? <laughs> it was a combination. Um, 
came up through a, a lot of different types of industries, um, but I managed a, um, a fixed-wing operation and learned to become you are a fixed-wing uh, pilot. I'm a fixed-wing pilot uh, early, <laughs> and so that combination, when PHI was looking for a different management of business skills and aviation skills, it was just a uh, it was a very nice match. <laughs> now, Lance Richard, we're also joined today by our entrepreneur du jour, and I do love that term. Let me introduce you to Arun Lakodia. Uh, we met Arun through Innovate Acadiana and the Opportunity Machine, regional nonprofits that help Acadian entrepreneurs turn innovative ideas into profitable enterprises. Arun, welcome out to lunch. Uh, thanks, Peter. It's a joy to be here, and especially a joy to be here with some uh, two seasoned entrepreneurs kidding. who already charted uh, great paths in Acadiana. We brought uh, up I'm the big guns I'm just enjoying listening you. to them. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit of an understatement to really call you an entrepreneur, Arun, but I'll get back to your many other accomplishments later. But I want to kick off talking about your very entrepreneurial project, Cajun Bot. And I've gotten a big kick out of this. Cajun Bot is an unmanned military assault vehicle, kind of like a tank drone that you've built two versions of, Cajun Bot and Cajun Bot 2. You built them in response to a search for the unmanned assault vehicles by DARPA. That's the U.S. government's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Did you get Cajun Bot out in front of the U.S. military decision makers yet? Uh, what's the current status of the project? Uh, <clears throat> so the uh, Cajun Bot was built as part of a challenge by the Department of Defense. And the challenge, it was an open challenge. It was called the DARPA Grand Challenge. And the challenge was to build vehicles that can drive by themselves. So this was in 2003 is when they initially uh, announced the challenge. Two 2004 was the first actual competition. Now, Arun, right off the bat, this is going to sound odd to a listener. You would think all this was developed internally by, by defense, but they said, no, no. let's get all these other no. mines. The, uh, what happened at that time, uh, uh, the DOD and Congress realized that the current pace of technology development they couldn't project that there will be unmanned vehicles by 2015. This, I think, what the 2015 where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. And uh, not very surprisingly, now you'd see Google Car, the Google uh, unmanned or driverless car, is came from the DARPA Grand Challenge. It was the car uh, uh, developed by Stanford and CMU. Their technologies came together and they created the Google self-driving car. In a fight, I would take your car. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think uh, so we had uh, about 20 teams uh, that came uh, that uh, went to the finals. There were about in different challenges. We had something about 100 odd teams who, uh, who applied for it. And we had team from Louisiana, Cajun Bot, our team, uh, who had no prior experience in cars or robotics. And we uh, said, hey, we want to be in it. And so we filed an application and we somehow got selected. And we went all the way to the finals. It was a completely wild experience. What uh, what an accomplishment. And can you explain, uh, because we are radio, uh, can you explain what, it, what, what the vehicle looks like? So this is a six-wheel vehicle which uh, uh, we turned into an autonomous vehicle. The reason we picked that vehicle is it was relatively simple. I mean, you can open up a box, and uh, I mean, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I can see the parts and say, okay, this is how it works. So we could sort of uh, open up the vehicle and we could convert it into a robot. Essentially, it's a robot. It has to drive by itself. So one of the most exciting things, why we were so successful, was because when people heard about this uh, team from UL taking on this big challenge, suddenly you had support coming from all over. 
We had CNC Technologies, another major company in uh, Lafayette, who gave us something like $250,000 worth of equipment. Just here, take it, use it. Well, what's next? Has the U.S. Army ever um, employed a, a vehicle like so this? So not uh, directly Cajun Bot, but yes. Uh, so U.S., uh, uh, to the extent, I, I did see a demonstration and a video of uh, some of those uh, equipment in Iraq. For, and so the intent was not really a battlefield, as in they're not, uh, they were for supplying goods. Are robots so. going to take over our life? That's what people are going to think when they listen to the show. Is it, are we going to be surprised 10 years from now? I am waiting for, uh, I, was, I was like when I, yesterday I was driving back from uh, Mandeville, I was like, why am I driving? This should drive by itself. <laughs> it's such a waste of time to be watching the vehicle and drive, looking at the lanes and watching traffic. Because you're doing all that, right? Because you're a very important guy. I don't want you reading the periodicals. No, no, I I do it. I really want this. I mean, the technology is there. I just can't wait for it to be vehicles where I can just sit and go. Now (laughs) it's time for us to do the checklist. This is the part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. Now, Richard, I'll start with you. Um, What was your very, very first job? I'll tell you about two of them. I delivered newspapers on a three-mile route. In the summertime, I rode my bicycle, and in the wintertime, I pulled my sled. And I learned very early on what accounts receivable are because <laughs> I had 130 little green cards on a circle ring, and I had to collect from each one of the neighbors for their newspaper on a monthly basis, and the newspaper company billed me by the month, and I had to pay whether my customers paid me or not. And so oh, I had problems wow. with some people that weren't paying me, and I had to cut the newspaper off and... But that's so, all you did, right? As you a 14-year-old boy, take them out I had anything. a hard time uh, doing that. Now, Arun, I'll ask you a question here. And what has been the best day you've ever had at work? And with what you do for a living, I can't imagine what this is going to be. Uh, so I'm a professor. Uh, or I was a professor until a day ago. And now I'm an entrepreneur. I'm oh, starting this, a company. This is an announcement. Okay. So I'm a, a, on a leave of absence. So the best day I had was not too long back. There's a lot of good days I've had as a professor. But one that, that I remember most is when we had uh, some visitors from uh, FBI come to uh, look at our technology, and we went through the pitch. And uh, uh, after we all said and done, and we wanted to wait for the reaction. And the first statement they said was, how do I get it? You know, so I was so used to being a professor, I was not ready to give a, a contract and say, here, sign here, and you get it. <laughs> so now I'm learning that part. They've got to close the deal. They've got to be ready for it. <laughs> I was not ready to close the deal then. The government's closed a lot of deals, so they're, they're yeah. <laughs> you here. I'm learning that now. <laughs> <laughs> and Lance, let me just ask you, uh, uh, who has been the most helpful person in your life in getting you to, to where you are now? You know, I, I think the way that I would answer that is that there's no one individual. Um, I have been so fortunate throughout my life and career to be surrounded by mentors who were willing to take the time, spend the time with me, teach me. And I think that's one of the very valuable lessons that I've had is the role that people can play. And these were people from different walks of life, uh, different nationalities, uh, different genders, and they played um, such an incredible role in helping me to be who I am today. And the, the opportunity to give back in that same way is something that you learn when you have people reach out a kind hand to you that way. And, and you find that, I mean, at PHI, you're, you're giving back to those employees, the oh, younger you, ones? As I said earlier, um, the, um, the, the people, and I echo, what, again, what Richard said about the number of 30- and 40-year employees that we have and the passion 
around safety and aviation. And, you know, people talk a lot, a lot about the millennials today. The, the quality of young person that we are attracting to the company today is, whether it's on the air medical side or the oil and gas side, is just nothing short of amazing. Lance, I looked up Bosflu, uh, and it means, I think in German, flight. It, it can mean a couple of things. Um, uh, flu, of course, is, is the flight-related, but really it translates into an angry plow. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't quite get that. <laughs> Let me tell you what Zuschlau means in Germany. If you're in a taxi cab or a train and you're supposed to get off at this station and you want to go a little bit further, they charge you a Zuschlag. It's an extra fare. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I tell people around here in Louisiana, it's Lanyap. It's something extra, you know? Richard Zuschlag, uh, Lance Boss Flu, uh, running a business with literally thousands of moving parts is not for the faint of heart. Both of your companies are enjoying immense success, and although none of us can take any credit for it, we certainly take enormous pride in your achievements, and, and we do. Uh, thank you both for joining me on Out to Lunch and, and, uh, and coming by and spending some time with us. Delightful to be here. Thank you so much. Thank and Arun, you, uh, it's definitely I'll definitely be checking back with you because you always have a lot of things <laughs> on the, on the, in the fire there. And, uh, and keeping up with your progress as one of the leading lights in the Acadian entrepreneurial community. Uh, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Enjoyed. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Richard Zuschlag, CEO and Chairman of Acadian Ambulance, and Lance Bosflu, uh, President and CEO of PHI Incorporated, and Arun Lakodia. He's a professor of computer science at UL and a creator of CajunBot. You can find out more about Richard's and Lance's Acadiana-based businesses and Arun's inventions by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and its acadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Charlie G's Restaurant in Lafayette. Charlie G's is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with live music Thursday through Saturday. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados and Zach Barker and Dr. Blake Escaday. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's Acadiana.com and KRVS.org. If you want to know what we look like, you can see photos from this show on our website and Facebook pages. These photos were taken by Gwen Oquen. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon, offering complimentary airport shuttle and within a three-mile radius, reaching downtown shopping and local restaurants. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again around the table here at Charlie G's for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank with locations in Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. 
support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.